Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 this morning. The Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And let me just say uh, what a joy it is again to be worshiping with you this morning. And if you missed out today, you missed out this morning. If you're a man here and um, you weren't at our men's breakfast this morning. We had a school kickoff, back to school men's breakfast this morning. It was really a wonderful time. A lot of folks were there and we got to pray for our children as they go back to school. I think we're going to have another one of those in November. So let me encourage you, if you see that coming up, uh, make sure that you sign up or don't sign up. Make sure you show up. How about that? And um, I want you to show up and come eat a good breakfast and have a good time. So men's ministry is... um, um, growing and working on some different things. We're excited about that. Thank, thankful for those that volunteered to make that a reality. If you have your Bibles open there to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Luke writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him, let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for this great opportunity we have to gather and worship today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The church that Whitney and I grew up in, our home church, uh, had what was called the Watchman Prayer Wall. So the Watchman Prayer Wall, people signed up for an hour a week pray. It was designed so that someone in the church was to be praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There would always be a watchman on the wall. And it worked really well. It was a really beautiful ministry. I love that ministry. It worked really, really well for 167 hours and 15 minutes a week. Right up until the watchman on the wall, Matt Alexander, fell asleep at 11.15 p.m. on Saturday night during his hour of prayer. I've never had heavier eyelids in my life. 
than I did during my Saturday night prayer hour that I signed up for when I was a teenager. I decided I was going to be a watchman on the wall, I was going to help out, and I didn't do so well at it. In fact, it, it became kind of embarrassing because the way it worked, somebody would call you and let you know it's your hour, and then you needed to call the next person let them know it was their hour. And so by the time I woke up, it's 2 or 3 in the morning, I don't even know who to call at that point. Finally call my person and say, listen, I just got taken up in the spirit to the seventh heaven. I just got back to call. <sighs> Praying can be hard. Even for many of us as adults, and even when it isn't 11 o'clock at night, and even when we're not sitting down saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for an hour tonight. Even when that's not the case, prayer can be challenging. That's not something we like to admit. Because the people that tend to talk a lot about prayer are the people for whom it seems to come naturally. People for whom prayer seems like this effortless joy every time they pray. People whose prayers are beautiful, and man, God bless those folks who are able to just naturally be such mighty prayers. But that's not the case for everyone. And it's okay to recognize this simple reality. We must learn to pray. It's okay to recognize that we need to learn and grow in praying. In fact, don't you see that the disciples themselves came to the Lord and said, Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples in other times, you'll remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did they do? They were supposed to be the watchmen on the wall praying with the Lord. And what did they do? They pulled a mad Alexander right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Fell asleep. It's okay to need to learn, to need to grow in our prayer. This morning, I want to show you three truths to help you grow in the grace habit of prayer. David Mathis, who wrote a book called Habits of Grace, calls this having God's ear. Not only do we hear His Word, but we have His ear. Now, isn't that an amazing privilege to consider? And as we consider this privilege of prayer today, I want to show you actually today five truths. Five truths. That's right. Five points today. Five truths to help you grow in the grace habit of prayer. Here's the first, first point this morning. It's this. First of all, we must pray according to God's nature. Pray according to God's nature. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father hallowed be your name. Jesus is teaching his disciples here something important about God's nature. And I want you to notice the balance of Jesus' instructions here. Notice the balance of these instructions. They reflect the beautiful balance of our relationship to God. Consider this for a moment. We, we talked just last week a little bit about God's transcendence. His otherness, His glory, His majesty, and God's eminence, His nearness. And do you see the way both of those truths about who God is are reflected here? Our Father. Father. Call God Father. Hallowed be your name. Jesus is simultaneously reminding His disciples of the intimacy of the relationship that we have with God and the magnitude of the holiness and majesty of God. Hallowed be your name. Father, uh, what a privilege it is to call God 
Father. I want to make sure that every time we call God Father, we are gobsmacked by that honor. We're just amazed. I hope you'd be amazed by the privilege of calling God Father. We have been adopted into the family of God. What a privilege it is to call Him Father. But at the same time, Jesus not only teaches us to address God as Father, but He also says we pray, hallowed be your name. Now the reality is, His name is already hallowed. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again, the Lord says. His name is hallowed. It is revered. God is what God is. God is holy and and not one of us could ever once more in our lives recognize the holiness and goodness and grandeur of God, the hallowedness of his name. And he would be no less holy. He would be no less glorious. Nothing diminishes God's glory. And yet when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are praying something similar to this idea of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying? We are saying, God, let your name be revered and honored and glorified, not only in this world, but in my own life. It's a reminder as we pray that as well for us, that God is not us. He is other. His name deserves to be hallowed. Can you imagine just uh, for, a, for a moment that... Uh, Somebody said something to me, and I responded back, you better hallow my name. You better put some respect on my name. Can you imagine a, a world like that? No, you, you can't, because I don't deserve to have a name that's hallowed. But God does. And yet, at the same time, He is our Father. You see, every time we pray, and he, every time we pray after the model that the Lord has given us as disciples, we are confronted afresh with God's nearness and God's holiness. God's fatherly nature and God's holy nature. The reality, we are confronted again with the reality of a majestic, hallowed God whom we know personally as a Father. But doesn't that make prayer wonderful? As soon as we kick off the prayer, I I don't know, it might be worth, you're struggling to pray, just kicking your prayer off like that. Our Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Because as you pray that, you are reminded of something as you pray. I want you to think about this for a moment. As soon as you say the word Father, you are reminded of the fact that God is listening. Aren't you? My, My dad answers the phone when I call. When I first came to First Baptist Church, Larry Furman, um, began to give me a little bit of advice here and there. It's a little bit of an understatement. Uh, he's not here. I could really have a good time. But uh, No, he gave me some advice. And, and one day, he was sitting in my study, and we were talking, his phone rang, and he answered it. If you've been with Larry, uh, you know, he'll, 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 especially if his family calls, he answers the phone. And when he hung up, he said, I'll tell you, I made a commitment a long time ago. If Marguerite or one of my boys calls, I answer the phone. I don't care where I am. I don't care what I'm doing. And I try to kind of have a, the, a similar approach. Now, Larry couldn't text then. I hadn't taught him yet. And so now what I do, uh, and I think what he could do is I'll, if Whitney calls and I'm busy or something, I'll text back, like, do you need me? I can, I, I'll step out right now. Same, same would be the case with my children. They're able to call me. I'll, I'll answer when they call. Well, isn't it amazing to consider the fact that God answers when we call? He picks up the phone every time we say his name. It's a reminder of the nearness and the closeness of God and his willingness to hear. You have God's 
ear, but it's also a comfort in prayer when we say, Father, hallowed be your name, because when we say he has a name that's worth hallowing, when we say he has a name that's worth revering, when we give a a, a ascription to his majesty and his greatness and his glory, not only are we saying, Father, you hear me and you listen, but we're saying, God, you are great and mighty and majestic enough to do something. Not only does God hear, He's able and willing to act. If God was impotent, it wouldn't be a comfort to pray. He could listen all day long, but He can't do anything. It would be like calling customer service. Sir, I'm so sorry you had that experience, but there's nothing I can do. No, God is able. He's able. You never call heaven and have to ask for a manager. You have the Father's ear. Second of all, Not only do we pray according to God's nature, but second of all, we must pray for God's mission. Pray for God's mission. Your kingdom come, the Bible says. Your kingdom come. What a powerful prayer this is. And it's a reminder that God's mission ought to frame our prayers. I think so often we kind of jump straight in our prayers. I understand this. We sort of jump straight in our prayers to what many people call supplication. God, help me out with this. God, would you intervene in this? Oftentimes, we kind of jump past your kingdom come. And I'm like this because very rarely do we go to prayer without something on our heart, some sort of a burden. But as you develop this habit of prayer, it's good to pray for the mission of God. What are we praying when we pray your kingdom come? What are we praying when we pray, your kingdom come? I bet I've prayed the Lord's Prayer a thousand times in my life in a group. This is the time of year when I'm reminded of early football practice, you know, two-a-days and that sort of thing. And, man, you've never heard a group of people pray the Lord's Prayer faster than a football team at the end of practice. I prayed a bit. Sometimes I've skipped over some of these thoughts. What, What am I really saying? When I say, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Well, we're talking about asking God's kingdom to come right now. God, would your kingdom grow? I believe every Sunday morning when we come gather here together, when you go out from here, when gospel impact's being made through the people and the work of First Baptist Church, I believe God's kingdom is growing and advancing and dawning in this world right now. It's the already of the kingdom of God. And so we are praying, oh God, would your kingdom come now? Would the work of the gospel go forward? But we are also recognizing when we say your kingdom come, that we are praying in a very real sense for the Lord Jesus to come and establish his kingdom fully and permanently in the world. That's the not yet of the kingdom of God. And as we pray your kingdom come, we are praying on both of those horizons, the horizon of today and the horizon of tomorrow. Oh God, would the gospel do its work in such a way that impact is made through the gospel souls are saved the world is transformed and at the same time god we know where our work in this world will never be enough would you please send your son even now to establish his kingdom fully in this world we pray thy kingdom come and indeed we pray that it will how do we pray like this please pray for our church to bear gospel fruit but but please pray for all churches to bear gospel fruit not just ours but all churches to be gospel-centered and for fruit to be born pray for the church to make gospel impact everywhere all over the world pray for christians this is a way we pray thy kingdom come 
is to pray for other believers all over the world. I'm so troubled by the fearfulness that seems to be seeping into the Lord's church. I saw a study just the other day that shows the way that more and more evangelical Christians in America understand themselves to be afraid. Don't be fearful. Pray. Pray for the Lord's church. Please pray also for Jesus to return and make all things new. You've you've heard that New Testament prayer, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Third of all, pray. Pray for your physical needs. Pray for your physical needs. I kind of said we jump to supplication sometimes, but it's not because we shouldn't pray for supplication. Pray for our physical needs. Pray for God to provide. We should pray for God to provide. In fact, I want to say this really explicitly right now. It's not wrong to pray for your physical needs. It's not wrong to do that. In fact, God takes pleasure and joy in providing for the physical needs of his children. But I want you to notice how Jesus talks about how we should pray for our physical needs. Chapter 11, verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. You see the simplicity and the profoundness, the profundity of what our Lord Jesus is telling us to do? Give us each day our daily bread. Isn't it interesting that the Lord commands us to pray for one day's provision? <laughs> it's interesting to me. I love that sort of tradition in the Bible. It really begins with the Israelites when they receive manna from heaven. I, I love the beauty of the fact that the Lord only gave one day's provision. Enough to trust the Lord, but then also there's still a requirement of faith. Will the Lord send bread again tomorrow? Try to store it up for tomorrow, what would it do? It would rot. They couldn't use it. Consider this reality. One day's provision. And yet, in the prayer, there's also a recognition of the ongoing need without giving in to worry or overcomplication. God's not asking us to store up prayers for provision for the future. This also reminds us daily to come back to the Lord and ask Him to provide again. Consider it for a moment. Consider what this does for our hearts every day. Every day we come back and ask the Lord to provide again. Some of us have enough for bread for the rest of our lives. Got enough in the bank account, you got enough stored up, you're ready to go for the rest of your lives. And yet each day, nonetheless, we ought to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you provide my daily bread? It's a reminder, a reminder that everything is from the Lord. It's not a prayer of extravagance, It's not a prayer of want and need. Give us this day our daily bread. It's simple and nourishing, and it's a reality that God will provide. We ask the Lord to do so. And it's also acknowledging every day the reality of physical needs. Man does not live by bread alone, but man does live by bread. We need to eat. We need sustenance. We are still creatures. And it's a good reminder that it's the Lord that feeds us. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is don't overcomplicate or overworry about your physical needs, but at the same time, don't feel guilty for asking the Lord to provide for you. Both are good things. He literally told you to ask Him to provide for you. It's a good thing to do. Embrace the joy and freedom that there is in handing your physical needs over to God. Fourth of all, not only should you pray for your physical needs, but you also must pray for your spiritual needs. Fourth of all, pray for your spiritual 
needs. There's a, a mode that biblical writer, writers often employ is called a chiasm. And it's a structure in a verse that kind of looks like an X. It goes outside, inside, outside. Now, I think you might see this a little bit here. This X-like structure, this chiasmic type structure here in this verse. Notice what he says in verse 4. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. In fact, my Bible kind of shows it broken out that way, sort of narrowing down to a center point. So usually in a chiasm, the first point and the last point match, and then the middle point kind of stands alone as a major focus. Now think about this for a moment. When you think about your spiritual needs, there are really two things you think about primarily. The sins you've already committed and the sins you haven't committed yet. You guys with me? Right? Sins you've already committed, you know what you need for that, right? Forgiveness. Okay? Forgiveness. If you've already committed a sin, you need God to forgive you. You're asking God to forgive you for your sins. But if you haven't committed a sin yet, you need some help staying out of trouble, don't you? Lead us not into temptation. God, help me stay out of trouble. Lord, I need your help. But what we often forget, we, you know, Jesus kind of puts these two biggies, one on the front, one on the back end, but notice what he sandwiches in between. Notice what he puts right in the middle of the two ways we normally think about temptation. What does he say? For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. In other words, right at the middle of what Jesus is saying when he talks about spiritual provision, he's talking about us showing grace to others. In the middle of the grace that God's given to us, we're reminded of the imperative we have of showing grace to those around us. Graciousness to other people is sandwiched between these two primary sin issues, and it's easy for us to forget that a huge part of our spiritual lives is the grace we show to others. In fact, Luke presents it here in the Lord's Prayer as if Jesus presents it, and he does, like a foregone conclusion. We do forgive those who forgive us. I love Jesus's style here. Jesus doesn't simply say here, hey, you better forgive folks. No, what does Jesus say? Of course we're forgiving people. Forgiven people forgive others. And so I don't want you to think for a moment that as you pray for your own spiritual needs, that you shouldn't pray for yourself to become more gracious, to become more forgiving, to grow in a heart of love. Brothers and sisters, please pray that God would forgive you. It's important to recognize your sins, to confess your sins to the Lord, and to ask Him to forgive you. It's an important exercise in applying the gospel to our hearts to do so. Brothers and sisters, please pray that God wouldn't lead you into temptation, that He would keep you out of the ditch of sin. But don't forget for a moment to ask God, to pray for God, to help you be more forgiving, to help you be more gracious, to help you be more loving. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm tempted to judge sometimes tempted to say, what in the world were they thinking? What in the world were they doing? Those are the times when I need to pray that God would make me gracious the most. Finally, not only do you pray for your spiritual needs, but finally, pray because of God's grace. Pray because of God's grace. Jesus ends the model prayer here, this disciple's prayer in Luke's account with a couple of stories, and a couple of parables, if you will. Beautiful stories, I think. If, if we're going to learn to pray, though, we must remember that prayer is not a burden to God. 
And so Jesus gives us two stories here at the end of this passage. He begins by talking about a friend who comes by the house at midnight. Hospitality is a huge part of Middle Eastern culture, and receiving people in your homes a huge part of Middle Eastern culture. As Southerners, it's one way I think we can easily relate to the Bible, is a biblical understanding of hospitality. You can imagine if you had family coming in town, and they're coming in, they're going to be getting into your house. Most of us are going to have something that we want to give them. A pound cake, a cheese straw, something's ready to be put out for everybody to enjoy. Well, it's even more important in the ancient world that that kind of thing would be given to a traveler because they probably didn't stop at Chick-fil-A for dinner on the way to your house. They really are going to be famished by the time they get to your home. And so as they come in, it would be unthinkable to know that you're receiving guests and not have anything to give them. And so here we have an unprepared neighbor who's come to your house at midnight. And they're knocking on the door, uh, waking you up from your sleep in the middle of the night, and they're saying, hey, I need you to help me out. I need three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And Jesus is kind of being real here. And he says, what are you going to say? Don't, don't bother me. Now leave me alone. We're not good enough friends for you to bother me at midnight. Of course, that's what they would want to say. But what does Jesus go on to say? He says, maybe it wouldn't be enough that their friendship was enough for them to help them out in this moment. Maybe just the goodwill of their heart is not enough, but maybe just the shock of somebody showing up at midnight, the impudence that they show here, is enough for them. Of course, they're going to help them out. Isn't God more loving than you? Isn't God a better neighbor than we are? Can you think of anything more annoying than somebody showing up at midnight? And yet, what is Jesus saying God delights to hear from you in the middle of the night. Is God not more loving and kind than our earthly neighbors? But also, Jesus gives us another story. Is God not more loving and kind than our earthly fathers? Parents, I think this is a good time of year for us to rejoice together. Because this is a wonderful time of year. This is officially put it on your Christmas list season. Kids ask for something anything. Dad, I'm out of toothpaste. You better put it on your Christmas list. (laughs) Maybe Santa will put something in your stocking, you know. Let's put it on your Christmas list season. I've got two kids with December birthdays. They're not getting a thing (laughs) till December. But my sweet children, they ask me for all kinds of things. Sometimes the point of driving me nuts, you know, can you guys just stop asking for something for one second? You ever feel like that? We get done with one thing they've been asking about, and they start asking about the next before we're even done. Sometimes it's to the point of driving me crazy. I mean, sometimes you would think they've not eaten in a decade the way they be- they're begging for food. But I would never dream if one of them asked me for a fish of giving them a snake or if one of them asked me for an egg to eat to give them a scorpion instead of food, even to teach a lesson, you know? What does Jesus say? If you being evil delight in giving good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give you the holy spirit if you ask him how much more love and kindness then will god show when we speak to him i'm evil and i'm still a pretty good dad i mean i'm still generally going to give my children things they might have to wait till christmas but they're going to get it how much more loving is god 
Brothers, when you come to him, sisters, when you come to him, he isn't annoyed or frustrated or exasperated. He knows how. In fact, he loves to give good gifts to his children. Ask, our Lord says, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, even in the middle of the night, and the door will be opened unto you. For those who ask are answered. Those who seek, find. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. And in all of that, God has given us the greatest gift of all. The gift of Himself, His very presence, the indwelling Holy Spirit. My friends, it's okay to need to grow in prayer. It's okay to need to learn to pray. And I want you to remember, as you grow in prayer, as you learn to pray, I want you to remember that God's nature is an invitation to prayer. He's close enough to hear and He's powerful and strong enough to answer. God's mission is always worth praying for. It's a good thing to pray for your physical needs. We cannot afford not to pray for our spiritual needs. And God's overwhelming, amazing grace, God's love for sinners, even sinners like us, is the perfect invitation to a life of prayer. And even when we can't pray, even when the words can't form, even when we stumble and cry, even before we can open our mouth, when we're too tired, when prayer's a burden, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What a gift He is, for He teaches us to pray in our own hearts. He forms our prayers as we pray. And even when we cannot pray, the Bible tells us He will pray for us. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you today to turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through faith in Christ. And I believe you will be saved. Now, second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I need to grow in my prayer life. Are there some other burden on your heart? I'll be here to talk to you. This altar is open for you. Or you may want to stay right where you are. You may want to go sit by a friend and ask them to pray for you. But this time is for you to do business with the Lord. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. It would be my joy today to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.